Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Delirious. In Delirious, John Candy plays Jack Gable, the head writer for the soap opera Beyond Our Dreams. His days are spent dealing with the drama of the cast and the producers that want to take the show in a different direction. One night, he receives a head injury and wakes up to find that he has been magically transported into the fictional town of the show. Even though he's now a character, he still has the ability to change the world around him by using his typewriter. Screenplay by Lawrence J. Cohen and Fred Freeman, Directed by Tom Mankiewicz and released on August 9th, 1991. Have you seen Delirious before? Yes, I have. I think I have, but I didn't remember anything about it. The only thing that I remember was Dylan Baker's character um, getting like beat up a lot <laughs> throughout the entire movie and then just all of his ailments coming about mm. like when they showed him i was like oh doesn't he get beat up a lot Be- yeah and not, then... <laughs> not physically beat up like, but yeah not like physically like, side effects from this medicine yeah, yeah but i mean even near the end he's getting hit by cars and he's like i'm fine yeah but yeah i uh, like i was getting this movie confused with like who's Harry Crumb? Yeah. And also the other 1991 movie that he's in was it only? Well, he's in a few actually. Uh, only the Lonely. Yeah, only the Lonely. Like those, like this movie and those two kind of combine as one movie to me. Okay. Because they all came out around the same time. Okay. And they're kind of similar in a way i don't think i've seen only the lonely and it's been a long time since i've seen who's harry crumb as well so i don't remember anything about that either other than it exists um i think i like that one the most because it's kind of like a he's like a detective but he's kind of like it's kind of like a naked gun ish sure thing yeah it seems like it would have a little bit more um worthwhile material to draw from this is something that is playing off of the soap opera world but it doesn't take advantage of any of that i don't know there's like a couple scenes especially with charles rocket's character um ty who's Mm -hmm. you know he actively sort of not really breaks the fourth wall but he alludes his you know you know talking about oh i'm going to go talk to my sister if she is my sister and then just kind of like mugs to the camera you know mm-hmm. what i mean and does that kind of thing to just sort of talk about all the stupid crazy twists and turns that could happen in a soap opera and yeah so he's playing off of that but he's basically the only one it's weird because we haven't talked about soap dish on this yet not yet um but i see this is sort of like a worse version of soap dish and also if you want to take the typewriter angle a worse version of barton fink 
mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> so you have other 1991 movies that do something, something similar with in writers themes. and then yeah, writers who are having some sort of mental like breakdown breakdown or, or issues or whatever it is. And then you have the soap opera world much better represented in Soap Dish. Yeah. Which we'll get to at some point in the future in the podcast. Yeah, and I also didn't realize that this was a soap opera movie, I guess. (laughs) When you were watching it the... This time, you mean? Yeah, this time. I was like, oh, so this is kind of like Soap Dish. Because I... Like what I said before, I just... All I remember was Dylan Baker getting... Yeah, you remember his ailments. The best part of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, then, and nothing like the plot. I don't really remember. Yeah, yeah, and it. I don't fault you for that because it, again, it just doesn't really go over that. It, obviously, it starts in the world of the soap opera, uh, in the real world. Um, you see, like, a couple scenes with John Candy's character as he navigates through his day-to-day work life and how he has to manage the relationships of the actors and the producers and, you know, the Emma Sams plays the lead in the soap opera and he has this crush on her and, you know, there's, like, this on-again, off-again type of dynamic between them but it's really just her taking advantage of him the whole entire time but he doesn't want to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And um, so you y- you bring all of those factors into the build up, and then it sort of, it it factors into the main plot when he's in the fantasy world, um, in that you know oh these producers are bringing in this guy Fetterman to change my script, change my world. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna fight back by typing on my typewriter to undo the changes that they're actively making on me at this moment so there is a little bit of that but it just doesn't play well it doesn't doesn't make for good comedy i think what hurts it the most is that most of the comedy seems to be coming from john candy mugging to the camera yeah I'm... And not so much in terms of, like, the words or the situations. It's more like, haha, look at this goopy face that I'm reacting to. Of, look at how good I'm able to play the piano. And let me just, right. you know, let my face show that this is unusual. Um, I mean, there's kind of wannabe slapstick comedy through, like, Mariel Hemingway's character. Where she's also kind of getting, I don't want to say beat up but just oh yeah no she's definitely getting beat up early on (laughs) yeah i guess yeah she also is getting a lot of bad stuff happening to her yeah her hands get stepped on she gets pushed down all of it's like accidental yeah yeah, it's meant to be like that slapstick type of a thing that's happening and then i'm thinking yeah i mean i said before like how like naked like it's a wannabe naked gun type comedy like it's trying to go there yeah, except without all of the um, irreverent, you know, uh, just completely off the wall. Yeah, over the top. Over the top references yeah. to stuff that is. On this the is to... just like, oh, we got, we didn't do something funny for five minutes, so let's make someone fall down a stairway or something. Yeah, which is weird because. And then I was like, I know this is it kind of like a romantic comedy. <laughs> 
like all of a sudden John Candy started doing these romantic comedies in the 90s I don't know yeah like late like, 80s early 90s you yeah instead of just doing straight up comedies like he was wanting to be the lead in these romantic comedies because yeah. I know we have only the lonely which is another romantic comedy yeah he's in that him. um but I mean 1991 is quite a varied year for him so he's in this right. only the lonely he's in jfk um for you know a few scenes he's in career opportunities uncredited but he's there and then also nothing but trouble so there's like a lot that's yeah he's doing a lot um yeah the romantic comedy side of things is odd because i don't know maybe you caught it and i didn't i don't think he kisses either of the leads that he's connected to during this whole thing he dances with Emma Sams in that one sequence at the party. Um, yeah, which but is supposed to they don't... endear her to him. Or right, something. yeah, but they don't I don't think it ever gets to all. that full romantic level at all. But is, he's trying to, like, woo her, and he's starting to succeed. Yeah. But then he realizes that he's always been in love with Mariel Hemingway's character, Louise. And... But they don't kiss either. They just—I mean—they show them at the end, you know, in a relationship, like holding hands or. Yeah, stuff. yeah. It shows a happy ending where it seems like this is gonna blossom into something good. Yeah. But yeah, they don't. So it's interesting that that's sort of the. Path I was to trying talk. to like find out. Well, I was thinking like, what was the purpose of this dream? <laughs> <laughs> what was the purpose of two thirds of the movie? <laughs> Well, because you know how, like, if someone gets knocked out and then, you know, they're in this other world, he barely even knows Mariel Hemingway's character at all. Like, he just knows that she's trying out for this part that he knows that is not even written. Like, he wrote it out. They yeah. He knows that it's not even going to happen, but he's like, why is she auditioning for this part that's not even going to happen yeah. if you're doing it my way this part doesn't exist so why are you auditioning for it but that was it and then he's trying to he's obviously in love with emma sam's character who is like rachel slash laura rachel I mean, hedison in the show laura claiborne in real life yes and you know she knows that She's just taking advantage of him because, you know, we see that she's in this on and off relationship with her co-star, who is Dennis, who is also Dr. Paul Kirkwood. Mm-hmm. And whenever she's in this off relationship with him, she goes to John Candy's character, Jack, for, like, some sort of savior. She's like you're going on this trip can i come with you it's like don't yeah, you have other friends <laughs> like what it's I don't a way know. to like manipulate well, he was his gonna feelings. go alone to that yeah trip. he's gonna go he's alone basically just going on a record buying trip there's like a subplot of him collecting that king cole rare records and reappearance of that record in the dream sequence happens too but um yeah like she he was gonna go alone and she uses that as a way to manipulate him to try to get what she wants out of her career and right, yeah. stay on the show and whatnot because there was questions about whether or not she was going to be written off. Yeah. And 
I mean, he... They were going to go together, but then, you know, Dennis shows up and they get back together immediately. So he just is off on his merry way to, what was it, like New Hampshire or Maine? He was going to be, but like as he was packing up, that's when the trunk hit him and he became unconscious. Yeah, yeah. so he didn't even... He didn't go on the trip. He didn't even go on this trip at all. No. Well, maybe it would have happened afterwards, but I mean, it wasn't an important trip, at least. It was just but a record buying. Once, he, once he's in this dream world, it's like he realizes all along that he's in love with Mariel Hemingway's character, but it's like he, they only met for like 10 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. It's more about self-discovery, I think, is the intention, but it just doesn't come across. You know, so it's a matter of I can't let this world that I'm creating take over my life. I need to be the control over my own life. I think that's what they're trying to get at, but it doesn't work very well. Instead because of he doesn't being just... manipulated by Rachel. Exactly, because he doesn't just fall in love with Mariel Hemingway through her actions in in this plot. Mm-hmm. You know, He's also learning to control... Emma Sams's character and not be taken advantage of by her and you know that that's I think what they're going for but I think in most movies it's like you know the person who's like oh it was her all along yeah type there of isn't thing. enough of a yeah there wasn't like a pre-existing friendship or anything yeah say, it was oh. just like someone he bumped into two times mm-hmm. where okay all of a sudden i'm in love with this person that i met two times in yep. the same day yep. and that's where it's not like someone where and we have no she's been around in his life the feelings in yeah world either yeah that's yeah because i mean she's just you know like oh well i didn't get this job or this part in this show i'll go about my life Mm-hmm. But John Candy's like, no, I need you in my life because I'm in love with you. That's a little weird and... Well, I don't think he ever says any of that in the real Well, they world. start a relationship. Well, in I his mean, mind, just, he's... He's looking for her, he can't find her, and then ends up going to that diner and she orders the thing that she orders in yeah, the, the fantasy world. Cinnamon. It was like a cinnamon bread with cream cheese and locks yeah and so they bump into each other uh there and that's when you know things could start so i mean they don't they don't say for sure that they're gonna live happily ever after it's just oh hey look i finally found her now i can actually try i don't okay. know it's a happy ending but it's not oh my gosh they're gonna run off to the sunset it's like okay we're gonna end here on a happy note mm-hmm. i mean it for all intents and purposes, the movie basically just quickly wraps up like a sitcom after yeah after doing all his, this in world soap opera this, crap for I don't know hour plus dream that he had like this <laughs> this uh I don't know if he just gets like a concussion dream and this is what's that's going on. yeah because at some point he just wakes up and then. All yeah, the, never all the actually go like really no quickly. one actually calls nine one one or anything. They just take him to the set of the hospital for his show. Exactly. We have no idea how long he's actually been out. It seems like just for that night. Uh, it, it seems like it. Yes. Like yeah. two hours or something. <laughs> yeah, most likely. But it's tough to tough to know for sure. Yeah. Um. 
But yeah, he was basically just knocked unconscious. And, and, I mean, I can understand them not calling 911 because he was hit under the chin and that somehow knocked him unconscious by the trunk. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why would they have reason to believe that unless, like, he falls backwards and hits his head and starts bleeding, but they don't show any of that. So, probably didn't happen. Um, but once they are in the world, I really wanted there to be more stuff that was fantasy-like, right? So there's, you know, at one point he's this super action star, sort of, like he's fighting off a couple of thugs, you know, uh, because there's, like, this subplot within the story of Mariel Hemingway's character, uh, Janet, is the daughter of someone who created this medicine that the Hedison family wants to buy, and so there's like thugs that are sent to get the formula or whatever or something like that um and then john candy's character comes in and roughs them up and he's able to be basically like a superhero indiana jones gunslinger whatever and you know action star for a minute and then at times he's like a super race car driver type and you know he has really good horse riding abilities for a minute and then all of a sudden that goes away all of a sudden well, because he just no wrote sense. himself to be that way for that time. Yeah, but it's weird. So yeah, he, he's a really good horse rider in order to rescue um, Emma Sam's character. But then after that happens, and he needs to ride back to wherever he was going <laughs> you know, initially, Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know how to ride a horse anymore. It's, it's just a weird little dynamic. It's like he... Well, he probably just wrote for that scene to save her, and then that was it. <laughs> right. He didn't. He didn't write further. He didn't write himself further to write off into the sunset or something like that. Yeah, know. he doesn't write the mundane parts of daily life for himself, and so I guess yeah, all of his abilities go away if he doesn't actively write it. But, um. But it doesn't go far enough in the fantasy side of things for me. I don't know. I guess I would have wanted it to be, I don't know, more of a... I guess it wouldn't be a soap opera then. Because if you make it too unrealistic and unbelievable, then it wouldn't be a soap opera. But it doesn't make for a good movie to have him just, oh, I can drive fast really well without getting into an accident. That's not that exciting to me. That's not very fun. It's like, oh, I can ride a horse really well to catch up to you. <laughs> That's not an exciting thing to write for yourself. You know, how, how is that fun for the audience? I, so I wanted to go farther and have him be more of a superhero type of a character at times or have him do some of these more unbelievable things. But the unbelievable things that he chose to do for himself was, I can now play the piano like a master. Mm-hmm. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to spend two minutes showing us the full song. That's not funny. But that's what they chose to do. Um, so, I mean, the comedy just doesn't work for me because of a lot of those things. I think it also doesn't work because it relies a lot on sound effects and music. Kind of, yeah. Like, there's so many times where it goes, wah, wah, wah. Or... Even in the very beginning of the movie where... Or is that... He's... 
um, this is where he's still in the real world on, on his job, and people are complaining about Emma Sam's character, Laura, who she has her own fridge in her own little dressing room. Yeah. But it's like this $5,000 stainless steel giant fridge, and he was like, oh, I thought she would just get like a mini fridge. But when they show the fridge, it goes a boom. Yeah. And then everyone's like. <laughs> and yeah, mugging to the camera. Wow. That's the joke. It's like, oh, wow, that's a big fridge. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, she's a prima donna soap actress. Okay. Like, it's not that funny to me. But yeah, they, they just do wah, 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 wah. Like, mm-hmm. they use that literal sound and multiple times I mean, in this movie. I mean, I don't movie. watch a lot of soap operas, but I don't, they don't, they don't it's, do, they the don't do that. They just do, yeah. yeah. They just do over the top dramatic music. Yeah. If something gets overly dramatic or whatever. I don't even know if there's any like comedy, slapstick type comedy in any soap opera. There's probably some. I mean, the comedy is just like the over over the top dramatics of, and then the plot of Mm -hmm. these things. Exactly. Yeah, it's fun to laugh at the cheesiness. That's the whole point. But yeah. We don't get that experience, except for, again, I think probably through Charles Rocket's character. Um, he plays into that a lot more, and how mm-hmm. he's, like, perving on his own sister, Emma Sams' character, and, um, you know, stuff like that. It's like, if she even is my sister, um, and how he's, you know, upset about all the different stuff there. Uh, and then the overtop side of things with Dylan Baker's character, Blake Hedison, who's going through all the side effects of this medication and he, you know, continues to like lose his hair and gets like goiters on his neck and loses his teeth and just becoming sickly. It's just, yeah, that's the, that's the funniest progression to see what new has happened to him every time. Yeah. Every time they show him something else is wrong with him. Like some new side effect has happened. Yeah. From this medicine. Yeah. So that, that's, the legitimate humor in the movie yeah. <laughs> is that um and the rest of it is just you know simple stuff like oh i knocked you over i'm gonna say sorry as i'm running away because i need to go you know i'm chasing somebody and yeah. oops sorry i knocked you over ha 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 isn't it funny that something physical happened no no it's not um and yeah, I honestly think that the music is making things worse um, for the most part. So it's just way over the top and in a bad way, and they rely too much on these cartoony sound effects. I don't know if there's much to talk about with this movie other than what we've already said, to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you. Like, this, there's not much to say. It's, it's very... It was surprisingly bland. I don't know what they were trying to do with this um that's what i so okay well we can get near the end of this dream is where he's trying to write you know there's for this um not i don't want to say this medicine that janet dubois father created that everyone wants they the hedisons have this fundraiser charity thing near the end Mm -hmm. and that's when the soap opera ness comes alive like that last yeah there's like a couple twists and turns with some of that where we find out that janet dubois is actually 
Hedison and I guess Rachel Hedison was Janet Dubois' character. Like they were switched at birth. Something like that. So she, Janet Dubois, and the, we and Rachel Hedison, they grew up together. And, you know, Janet is like, oh, yeah, Rachel was always the popular girl. She was homecoming queen for all four years. You know, everyone wanted to be her and like her and love her and blah, blah, blah. And But she's not, like, bitter about it. She's just like, oh, yeah, she's the popular girl. And we were never really friends. Mm-hmm. Rachel Hedison is just kind of the... I mean, she's not too, I don't want to say, like, mean girl. She's not too much of, like, the mean girl. She's just very, like, a spoiled brat that just grew up to be even more of a spoiled brat. Yeah, I mean, she's just, like, a rich, prissy, you know, I deserve her. But she's not really much of a mean girl, because she just, she wasn't really ever mean to Janet, it seems like. No, no, she's she's only kind of mean to her own brother, because she's trying to manipulate the doctor. Right. And says, you need to keep my brother on this medicine for, I forget what the reason was, honestly. I I think she wanted to know what the side effects were or something, because she wanted to use it, because it's like a weight loss type of medicine. Yeah, I don't remember. So I think she just wanted to use it at some point, but she didn't want to use it immediately, so she has her brother as, like, the guinea pig, and then, you know, he's falling apart. Mm-hmm. So we know that this medicine isn't even, like, a great thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you have the, the switch of the the Hedison family, where, you know, it turns yeah, so out we that find Janet out, is a, yeah, the, is a Hedison. Yeah, at birth and then but all of a sudden you have like the sniper aspect where you know like uh the so the whole time that um john candy has been in this world his name is jack gable in in the movie but they think he's this character that he was going to write called jack gates and so he just rolls with it and he pretends like he's a super millionaire guy jack gates who's there to buy that medicine medicine well yeah um, and that he's trying to undercut the Hedisons and, and take their market share or whatever it is. And so um, there's intrigue with that when the real Jack Gates comes in, played by Robert Wagner in an uncredited role, um, who's also referenced as Robert Wagner because John Candy recognizes him. It's like, oh, so they brought Robert Wagner in here for Sweeps Week. That makes sense. Yeah. So like that's kind of an interesting character. bit, but it yeah. just doesn't play well. Um, and then Robert Wagner is like, you know, into this character yeah he's he is playing jack gates and so he's also you know um yeah fighting with people and whatnot and then uh charles rocket's character like has like a sniper rifle to try to kill someone from the thing and so yeah it kind of like escalates and elevates right the and the, the the father Carter Hedison is played by Raymond Burr. Yes, he he's kind of the villain out of all of this because he's telling his son, like Ty Hedison, played by Charles Rocket, is trying to always please his father, and his father like just doesn't give a shit about him. Yeah, he's always just like praising Blake Dylan Baker's character over, and even though Ty is like, no, I'm the one that came up with it, and he's like, whatever. So he's trying to, like, make his father happy by trying to kill Jack Gates because, you know, Carter Hedison wants the 
that medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I think thinking by killing Jack Gates is to, you know, make his father get that medicine. And then finally he's like, oh, I can finally get praise from my father with, that I always wanted. Yeah. But which... he's failing because he's trying to kill John Candy, who he thinks is Jack Gates, and, you know, missing. Like, he tried to do that dart gun thing and misses, and it hits, like... Hits the valet. Valet the, person. Yeah, the sniper or... rifle thing hits the valet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he's up in, like, the church tower or something, and the bell rings and knocks him over right when he's taking right. a shot. So, I mean... I mean, that's supposed to be the comedy. Yeah, yeah it attempts a comedy. Um, and then they have that part where he's trying to... John Candy's trying to fix the problem of, of the whole world, and he had broken his typewriter earlier, and so he calls this typewriter repairman and act like it's a bomb-diffusing type of a scene. And right. So they're trying with certain things, but it just never the, lands. The whole typewriter breaking thing, I was like, well, what have ha- what would have happened if he never got it fixed? Is he stuck in this world? That's why I was like, what is the whole meaning of this entire dream like what was the point yeah, of it i don't know if he would have been stuck because it's not would like it be he like wrote a himself ground... out of the show yeah because like it's not is like, this he like said a ground the end and then he woke up no but i'm thinking so... yeah i'm like what was the yeah I, I was thinking like what was the meaning of this dream because he does get the typewriter fixed at the very last minute and it was mainly because janet dubois she gets hit she gets like shot mm-hmm and he's trying to fix his typewriter real quick to write out that she healed instead of her dying. Right. But then she, as she is healing, because he gets his typewriter repaired in time, she heals from this gunshot wound, and then that's when he wakes up. So we never really, it, that was the point of the story was to save her? Or the point of this dream? I, I don't think so. Honestly, I think the whole point <laughs> is just that he's supposed to learn more about himself and how he needs to handle his own business in the real world. Okay. I, I think that's as simple as that. It's like, okay, don't look at just, you know, don't focus on the superstar. Look other places around you for love and realize that some people are bad for you and toxic for you. And then also don't let these guys these producers who is played by like Jerry Orbach and Renee Taylor in this, um, don't let them bring in Fetterman to ruin your stuff. Stand up for yourself. Yeah, stand up for yourself and write your own characters how you want yeah. to be written. That's, I guess, what they're going for. But, again, most of this just didn't work. Um, the movie starts with Prince's song Delirious and it kind of all goes downhill after that <laughs> song's done. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it quickly wraps up. I, there's no good way to end the dream sequence part, and then when they come in, it's just a quick, you know, five-minute thing to say, oh, this plot point's done. This done. This done. And then get it. Should we just talk about some of the cast and crew then? Yeah. Okay, I, so... I mean, before that, you just... I mean, we pretty much talked about the end. Yeah. We, we've talked about <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All that needs to be said, really. I don't know. If something comes up while we go through the cast, then we can talk about that. Okay. So this was directed by Tom Mankiewicz. Uh, he had directed Heart to Heart with Robert Wagner. That's why he probably got brought in. He also directed the 
movie version of Dragnet with Dan Aykroyd, which he also wrote. Uh, Tom's mostly a writer. He wrote Lady Hawk, Superman 1 and 2, uh, several Bond films, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, Man with the Golden Gun are all his. He's also the son of director Joseph Mankiewicz and the nephew of Herman Mankiewicz, a.k.a. Mank, the guy who had that uh, award movie made out of him, writer of Citizen Kane. Uh, <laughs> written by Lawrence J. Cohen and Fred Freeman, they typically work together pretty much all the time. Uh, they did a thing called Start the Revolution Without Me. They got some attention back in the day. Uh, they did Empty Nest. Uh, they've done some episodes of Andy Griffith, Gilligan's Island. They also did The Good Life, but not the one you're thinking of. It was in 1971. And they also did Empire, but not the one you're thinking of. This was in 1984. Um, but yeah, so not... Aside from, like, Empty Nest and Start the Revolution Without Me has, like, a cult thing from, I think it's the 60s. It was, a, like, a British thing. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you know, not a whole lot of pedigree for current comedy, current as in 1991, right? Uh, John Candy, we already talked about how we're going to see him a whole bunch. Um, so we'll talk about him uh, more later. Uh but his, this was one of his last films, I guess, because uh, you know the 1991 stuff was some of his last films because he did pass away in 1994 while filming Wagons East. Um, but this was, uh, he also did Camp Candy, which we talked about at some point during this podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, that show ended, I think, right before 1991, somewhere around there. So um, this is like off the, off the heels of Camp Candy. Meryl Hemingway is Oscar-nominated for Manhattan. She also has a Razzie nomination for Superman 4, um, and also the movie Sunset. Uh, she's in 1991's Into the Badlands, and she was also on the TV series Civil Wars, which I kind of forgot existed until I saw her credited for that. Uh, it's like a... Uh, like a romantic comedy type of a scenario. Okay. Civil Wars. I forget who stars opposite of her. I didn't write it down here. Um, but yeah. I didn't like her. <laughs> oh, in this movie? In this movie. Like, she, I understand what she was going for because she was doing like the soap opera stuff the entire time. So it was like heavy-handed overacting just all the time. There was never an off switch for that. So it got to be a bit much where she never became like a real person. It's, Same thing with it's Emma like Sands, they, really. Well, Emma Sands, she, I. It made liked more sense for Emma Sands. Emma Sands, it made yeah, because because she is the prima donna actress, which kind of is the same thing as the soap opera character. Yeah, I think Mariel Hemingway. It was trying to find. You know, at that time, she's you know a model still, and you know she's kind of like that typical. Stereotype where it's you give her glasses and a ponytail and she's quote the ugly one but then you know you know near the end when she was figured out as being a Hedison she's dressing in like these sexy clothes and her hair is all nicely done everyone's like whoa you're hot all of a sudden yeah that's like what she was cast for I think like it's just like oh let's find the model and then you know make her quote ugly and then you know near the end let's show her as the pretty girl it didn't even seem like she was made to be ugly to me though 
I mean, she didn't no, she's in a never ugly. Scenes. But uh, you know how like in movies, just, um, like yeah, no, I, I know. But I think it's more that she was shy and soft spoken. Like mm-hmm. that's that would be. But the she was always wearing glasses part. and a ponytail and wearing like you know flannels and a khakis or something. Yeah, she just didn't dress high society. Right until it's like all of a sudden she found out she was a Hedison, so she was wearing Rachel's clothes, which was all like form fitting dresses and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh. Um. Anyway, Emma Sams on the other side of the spectrum. She is very much a, you know, soap opera vet at this point. Um, mm. She's in the 1991s Bejeweled as well. Uh, but she was on Dynasty as Fallon Carrington Colby. Uh, and she also was part of the Colby's spinoff show, playing the same character. She was on Models, Inc., another soap opera, playing Grayson Louder. She was on The Doctors for several years, playing Amanda Vardalis. Uh, and then General Hospital is Holly Sutton Scorpio That's for a long time. I just, I really like that name. <laughs> yeah. Soap opera names are pretty good. Most kind of, of like Fawn Moscato. Uh, and then uh, also, aside from her acting work, she's also the co-founder of the Starlight Children's Foundation. It's a um, worthwhile organization there. Uh, Raymond Burr we talked about as the dad. Um, we're going to see him quite a few few times in this because we did include the Perry Mason TV movies on our list and there are four of them so we'll see him because he is Perry Mason Uh, he won two Emmys for that role and had seven more nominations for that and also Ironside Um, so we'll see him quite a bit and he passed away in 1993 so this is one of his last roles as well Dylan Baker playing Blake Hedison Uh, I think most people probably know him from the Spider-Man movies if anything uh, he was Dr. Connors, who was being set up to be the Lizard, but he never, I don't think he ever got to play Lizard on film. Uh, but he was, you know, the character who was going to be the bad guy, Lizard. Um, he's also in Selma. He was, had an independent spirit nomination for the movie Happiness. And he yeah. also has three Emmy nominations for The Good for Wife, the good wife That's over a course of him. eight episodes. So he's only been on eight episodes, guest appearances. He's really good in The Good Wife. But he always plays like like that similar type of character where it's kind of like that hoity-toity rich guy Yeah, he's almost always like this villainous, like... But he's good at it. Smarmy white dude. Uh, Charles Rock, who played Ty, he's probably best known for being on SNL, I think. Um, So he took over in the 1980 through 84 era of, you know, the Gene Dominion... Uh, era um, basically trying to take over Bill Murray's shtick the entire time um, but he went on to have additional you know film and TV roles for a while he was also in Dumb and Dumber I think that's probably where he might be best known to non-SNL fans uh, I think he did really well with this role um, yeah still. I like him and Dylan Baker in this movie yeah they're the, they're the two best and they have a good dynamic with each other too uh, he passed away tragically from suicide in 2005 um, and then I think the last person I'm going to mention here is uh, David Arashke, Arashi, who played Dr. Paul Kirkwood in Dennis. Uh, he is currently being seen in Succession, the HBO show, uh, as Carl. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been on Veep. He was also a vet of soap operas because he was in Nurses, uh, Ryan's Hope, uh, and also All My Children for 38 episodes in 2008. 
We'll see him again in 1991 Bingo, that movie about the dog Bingo. Uh, and he was also in one episode of Trials of Rosie O'Neill, that show that we've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast. He was on one of those episodes. Um, I think I know him best from Sledgehammer, which is a show that my parents used to watch. Okay. Uh, which is basically like a cop farcical show, sort of uh, making fun of the machismo um, police shows like Magnum P.I. and stuff like that at the time. is like mm. a parody of those. It was pretty well done. So he's the guy who played Sledgehammer. And that's most of your cast and crew. I also mentioned that actually uh, we talked about Robert Wagner, um, but Margot Keeter also makes an uncredited cameo appearance early on as a woman in the washroom who's uh, trying to console Mariel Hemingway's character yeah, after she beginning. like sits in some liquid and she's like drying her butt off. Um, so yeah, Margot Kidder is like, oh, I've been there type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, this is possibly like the start of her mini comeback. Uh, Margot Kidder had been in Superman 1 through 4, uh, Black Christmas, Amityville Horror, um, but she suffered a car crash in 1990 that severely hampered her for a while and made her go bankrupt. And so this is like a, the starting of her recovery, I think, a bit. Uh, she also went on to do the voice of Gaia in Captain Planet cartoon. Um, and she also did a whole bunch of other work, including a notable role in the video game Tex Murphy Under a Killing Moon. So. No awards to speak of for this movie. I probably should have said that earlier, but there's no awards to speak of. Uh, it bombed in the box office compared to its budget. A uh, budget of $18 million is estimated for it. Grossed about $5.5 ended up on uh, 117th on the list of our box office ranked movies, which is one worse than Barton Fink. Mm. So not only is Barton Fink a better movie, it also performed slightly better overall in the box office. So should we talk true crime and pop culture? Yeah, um, I don't have much no real-world stories of people going into fantasy worlds? No. <laughs> I was going to talk about Robert Wagner, but I was oh, like, yeah. that's a whole kind of episode in itself. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about the whole that's, story between... That's like an hour-long between... <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah. it, I, I mean, just in short, he is a person of interest for Natalie Wood's drowning <laughs> the, mm -hmm. in the early 80s. His two-time wife, Natalie Wood. Yeah. Even, like, up until 2018, the L.A. County Sheriff has named Wagner a person of interest. So, I mean, it seems like this is just still an ongoing thing. And he is, you know, still alive. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see anything further, like, what else is come going on after 2018 about this? Probably not much. Yeah. Yeah, unless they get a specific lead or something, but it's tough to do when. And he just seems <laughs> yeah. like he's not gonna say anything besides what he said, where he's just like, "I have nothing to do with this." Yep. And that's unfortunately it. Yeah, same with Christopher Walken. It's, you know. Right. You got those two people, and that's about it to work it's off. It's kind of. of like based on those two men. He said, she said, type of thing, but it's mostly just he said he said mm -hmm. and that's it mm -hmm. um so i'm just gonna get into 
the TV that was on around that time. So this is August 9th, and we really haven't had anything that's in August. But this is summertime, so, you know, everything's kind of, like, on repeat TV-wise. So, you know, it's it was August 9th, 1991, which was a Friday. So it was a lot of the repeat of the TGIF lineup. But they were showing Hi Honey, I'm Home. Okay. That was like their summer show with the new episodes. Okay. Which we talked about that earlier yeah, in it, this podcast. Yeah, where it has like a mix of black and white and color. Yeah, going Sort of Pleasantville-like. Yes. Pre-Pleasantville. And then a couple of shows that were on during TGIF time, so around 8, 8.30, were two newer shows that premiered on this day one of them was called fantastic facts which is just an educational series that was based on the time life book series and it was hosted by merlin olson and he was um a football player that's all i know he was like a football player and then he became an announcer and then an actor later on in his life. But he played for the L.A. Rams from 62 to 76. Okay. After that was another new show that I probably would have watched maybe. And that was Primetime Pets. <laughs> but I don't know if that was... It, it was just like an like an animals funniest animals type of thing right because i looked into it and it just seems like people talking about animals but i'm, I'm like isn't this like this is on at 8 30 at night on a friday wouldn't this be more of like a saturday afternoon type show i don't know i mean they're obviously with tjf like families yeah, watching they, this they were going for a family demographic on friday nights for a long time so i don't know we were I don't, I don't I remember when That's My Dog aired, but that's the show that we watch more than anything. Yeah, I remember that. And this was hosted by Will Schreiner. Dorothy Lucy. She Dorothy Lucy was on Good Day. She was a, a reporter on Good Day LA during that time. Okay. But I don't have any other information. It was just talking about people's pets, kind of like maybe that's my dog. Yeah, or maybe it's like a, you know, these are animal heroes type of a yeah. show. Because obviously TV was full of that, of celebrating, you know, here's the best doctors and firemen and yeah, cops police in officers, the country. Yeah. Stuff like that. So maybe it's a show like that for pets. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know. If anyone knows, let us know. Uh, send us an email. Or, or unless there's like a YouTube of it. Yeah. And then, you know, on Fox was America's Most Wanted. So it's like either you're watching America's Most Wanted or family-related TV shows. Yep. Because people were not watching Delirious. No. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so this is top five songs as of August 10th, 1991. This is, you know, right in the middle of the summer. So obviously, number one is going to be... Brian Adams. Yes. Yep. So everything I do, I do it for you is number one. Number two is Passion by the Rhythm Syndicate. Number three is Every Heartbeat by Amy Grant. Number four is your favorite song of all time, Summertime. 
uh-huh. by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh, Fresh Prince. And number five is It Ain't Over Until It's Over, Lenny Kravitz. Okay. And then I was looking up, you know, I was doing the Star Sing- Spangled Banner watch. Yeah, you gotta do it. It's not even on, it's not on here. So as of, I think in May is when it just kind of became less. I mean, that makes sense. I mean. Less popular. We don't know exactly when it was officially released still. We haven't gotten that I, far I'm thinking March. So like yeah. March to May, yeah. people were like, I'm still enamored by how Whitney Houston sang that yeah, song. So I want to listen to it all day long, every day for two months. <laughs> I'm, so by August, it's like not even it's on gone. the charts. So we'll go to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale would you put Delirious? Let's give this a two. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say like one and a half. I'm basically right there with you. It's like slightly below average in terms of overall. I mean, I just wanted it to be funnier. I was just waiting for it to deliver on jokes, and it just never did. Um, I mean, it held my attention, but it yeah. wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't interesting enough to be something I would recommend to people. Uh, if you, um, every movie's worth watching once, would you watch it again? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, weirdly, yeah, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch this, like, I would watch, like, Who's Harry Crumb over this, or something like that. Yeah, I think that's where I'm feeling, I, I feel like I'd want to explore more of John Candy's Other catalog that movies? I haven't seen in a long time, like, yeah, Find the Lady from, like, way back, or, you know, Who's Harry Crumb, or, you know, I'm just curious about some of these other ones that he's been in, like, Only the Lonely I've never seen, you know, mm-hmm. I've never seen Wagons East, you know, so, I mean, there's other stuff that I'd rather watch. Right, if there was, this. like, a, I don't know, John Candy Fest somewhere, and they were showing, like, I don't know, the Great Art Doors and Cool Runnings, and this was in the middle of it, I will still watch it, yeah, I don't know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, if it's, like, a retrospective, if you're trying to go through everything... Then, then cool um, but if you're doing it because you're a John Candy fan I don't think there's a whole lot here for you mm. um, maybe watch Eddie Murphy's Delirious concert special I don't know that's probably a better <laughs> better time for than the it. video for Prince's song Delirious yeah or the video for Prince's song Delirious um, so if you out there want to watch Delirious as of this recording in October 2021 it's available on Pluto TV, Hoopla, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991moviewrewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're wrapping up Food Month with our main course, which is going to be Delicatessen. That's available on Prime, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.